0: So we are on lesson number 12 of our fall quarters, and the title of the lesson is Jesus Lays Down His Life and Takes It Up Again, scriptures are Mark chapters 15 and 16. So Lord, this is what you came for as a man. Um, one of the things you came for was to provide salvation for humanity, and you did that by laying down your life on a cross. We thank you so much for it. And you. the Bible tells us that you did it because you love us, and so we thank you for that. Uh, but you, are being God, could not stay dead, and so you just rose from the dead again and uh, have given us the promise that you will raise us as well, and we look forward to that greatly. So we pray that you would give us... Uh, understanding as we looked at this last two chapters of the Gospel of Mark. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, section A is Jesus appears before Pilate, and that is verses 1 through 15 of chapter 15, bless you. So I'll start off with reading that. Mark 15 verses 1 through 15. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation, and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him, whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Okay, so Jesus, he had already gone through two religious trials, one before Annas and one before Caiaphas. And each of them had several parts, and now he's being taken to Pilate for a civil trial. And at the religious trial, before Caiaphas, he was convicted of blasphemy because he said that he was the Son of Man, described in Daniel chapter 7. He said that 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 prophecy applied to him. So if he was only a man, the charge of blasphemy would have been true. But he was not only a man. He was also God. And so, and they, you know, it should be said that these were sham trials, and they didn't follow any rules of evidence or any of their own rules concerning how to run a trial. For one thing, they were not supposed to do it at night. They did it at night. Um, they're supposed to have a quorum. They, I don't think they had a quorum um, of the uh, members. We know that Joseph of Arimathea did not agree with them. And, you know, all sorts of things. They didn't have witnesses that corroborated. The witnesses contradicted each other. And so it was all a sham. So, And now they take him to Pilate and... Because the Romans do not care about blasphemy, since they, their king called himself a god, <laughs> so they changed the charge. So, you know, now in our, in our legal system today, if you change the charge in the middle of the trial, that's a mistrial, right? I mean, that, that's illegal to do, too. So they changed the charge from blasphemy to treason because Jesus said he was a king. And that was right in mid-trial. And here Pilate is asking him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus agreed that, yes, he was king of the Jews. Now in the Gospel of John, he said, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And people have misunderstood that thinking that jesus that means that the kingdom is now, and it, we're in the church age, we're in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That is not the case. We're not in the kingdom. We're wait, still waiting for the kingdom. The kingdom was postponed. What Jesus was telling Pilate was that his kingdom at that moment was no threat to Caesar, because it was being postponed, and we know it's been postponed for at least 2,000 years. Right. So Caesar had nothing to worry about. So then in verse 3, the chief priest began to accuse him harshly, and Pilate questioned him, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. He made no defense. The whole thing was a, a sham anyway, but he didn't try to defend himself. And this is what the prophet Isaiah had foretold 700 years prior, that the Messiah, that the suffering servant would not defend himself. That is in Isaiah 53, 7. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. So Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Several prophecies were fulfilled on the day of the crucifixion. Then verses 6 through 11, there was a tradition that the Romans had made to please the Jews of releasing one prisoner during the Passover feast every year whoever they wanted. And there was a man in their custody named Barabbas. He was an insurrectionist, so in our day he would be one of the January 6th people who walked through gazing at the Capitol, who they now call insurrectionists, you know. We used to call them tourists. Now, if you if you went there on January 6th and you had a complaint against the government, you're no longer a tourist, you're an insurrectionist. Although the Hamas protesters who were much more rowdy in the Capitol Dome were not labeled insurrectionists, you know, more recently. So that just shows you the corruption of our government currently. But anyway, so Barabbas was involved in insurrection. He wanted to overthrow the government. And he had committed murder in this insurrection, and so he was in jail. And Pilate, thinking, you know, Jesus was innocent as far as he could tell, said in verse 9, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, maybe the crowd would have went along with that. But the chief priests were there, and the chief priests, verse 11, stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. You know, they wanted a true murderer released instead of Jesus, who they had accused falsely of blasphemy. Yeah, so and the the chief priests were able to convince the crowd about this. So, because Pilate in verse 12 says, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? So, an innocent man, a man who has not been proven guilty through legal means. And then a mob mentality took over. Verse 13, they shouted back, crucify him. I'm sure it was mindless, you know. Much of the, the things we see today in pro-Hamas rallies are mindless also. The George Floyd riots were mindless. People just get, go crazy and let their sin nature run wild. And um, that's a mob mentality. There's and that, always somebody behind. Yeah, someone goading. Someone goading it on. Yeah. So um, so the mob mentality takes over. So how do you do what's right when this happens? You ever been involved in a mob? Ever, you know, been caught up in a mob? strikes or that yeah <laughs> can be yeah i you know i have not I, I i guess you you have to consciously go you know where this stuff is going on to join into it but so that, i mean that can happen so i guess the the way to avoid that is to stay away from mobs And, um, you know Don't get involved. in. If you're caught up in one, you should get out of it quick. So they shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? So Pilate was not convinced that Jesus had broken any law. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate should have said disperse and he should have used his troops to disperse the crowd that that would have been the right thing to do right that is not what he did because he was wishing to satisfy the crowd yeah. right going to is yeah i think he was concerned about his position probably his life if he allowed a riot to go on in jerusalem during the passover and You know, he had the power to squelch the riot. Well, it's hard for him since he's not a believer. (laughs) He can't do it. He can't do it. And so he probably did the best he could without being a believer. If you're a believer, you know, you trust the Lord rather than man. See, he's being a people pleaser here. Being a people pleaser leads you to bad places. Yeah, that's when you just have to trust the Lord. Yeah. You just have to trust the Lord that he will work it out for you. Um, And he will work it out. But Barabbas not only turned them over to be crucified, but he scourged him first, which was a little, you know. Yeah, that was beyond. And the Roman scourging, you know, they used these whips that had uh, pieces of bone or glass or iron in the tips of it, and so they would not only whip you it would cut you, and some people would die just from the scourging and that's probably why Simon of Cyrene had to carry Jesus' cross because of the uh, because of the scourging he received he weakened him he, he, he did he became just like one of us. Okay, so section B is Jesus is crucified. Can I get someone to read that section? That's 16 through 32. Okay. Okay, thank you. So verse 16 and 17, the soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium. They called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. So he was taken away and mocked by the soldiers after he was turned over to be scourged. Yeah, that's probably how it went every time. The soldiers were hardened because this was their job. They were on crucifixion detail. And so, you know, every day they saw this and uh, saw uh, you know, people, I'm sure, break down and And they were hardened and they were cruel. They didn't care. So they just wanted to have a little fun. And so the tradition was for the condemned person to carry the cross piece of his cross up to the hill where they were to be crucified. And Jesus did that for a little while, but he couldn't do it. And we know that because they, verse 21, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Alexander and Rufus were members of the Roman church. In the book to the Romans, you can see Alexander and Rufus there. So, and it's very possible that Simon, through this interaction, became a believer too, although we don't have... Um, evidence in the Bible of it. But he was pressed into service to carry his cross. Yeah, Jesus was just like one of us, weak, and, uh, you know, so that he could be our faithful high priest. Then verse 23, well, verse 22, then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. That's where they carried out the crucifixions outside of Jerusalem. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he would not take it. What does wine mixed with myrrh do? Yeah, it's a sedative. It's a a drug, yeah, to numb the pain. So, but he refused to take it. He did not take it. He wanted to be awake while this was going on. He wanted to suffer for the sins of humanity. Well, he can't suffer very well if you're anesthetized, right? That, that was his whole purpose for coming. So even to the very end, he kept his eye fixed on what he was doing here. But it was the third hour when they crucified him, so that is 9 a.m. They crucified him at 9 a.m. And the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And that was in uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And then they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And so that's right, you're going to be crucified. So back to verse 24, they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. Now, that is another fulfilled prophecy. And that prophecy was 1,000 years old when it came to pass. So, 1,000 years before Christ, King David wrote Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Then verse 27 they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. So that is another fulfilled prophecy. And that is Isaiah, who prophesied 700 years before Christ came. Uh, Isaiah fifty three twelve. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So that's one, two, three fulfilled prophecies in one day so far, right? From thousands, uh, hundreds to thousands of years earlier. Jesus' life was a script. Even up to the place where he was born, you wouldn't think he would have any say over that. You know, you don't have any say where you're born. And yet it was prophesied about 500 years before it happened. I think it was 500, maybe it was 800. It was a long time. <laughs> Micah 5.2, you know, that he would be born. The one who is from eternity in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And the Ephrathah is important because there's two Bethlehems. There's one in Galilee. And there's one down near Jerusalem, just two miles from Jerusalem, and that is Bethlehem Ephrathah. And so it's very specific to where exactly he would be born. Then verses 28 through 32, they, you know, you would think people would be nice, have some mercy on you if you're suffering horridly, but that did not happen for Jesus. The scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross, so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. You know, the Jews still do that. They still insult him. I heard Ben Shapiro, who I loved dearly. I loved Ben Shapiro. I loved to listen to him. Um, mocking Christ, yes, because he's raised and he's an Orthodox Jew. They still believe that. They still ridicule him. And, uh, you know, so, Uh, uh, yeah, but this here mercy was denied Jesus so we could have mercy. You know, because he took what was rightly ours. He took the punishment for sin, which would mean no mercy. He took it so that we could, we could be given mercy, you know. I mean, believers now can face death very calmly and with great hope because Jesus went through this, because a, a transfer takes place between us and him. So I appreciate it. Okay, section C, Jesus completes his mission. And that is 33 through 41. I'll read that one. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So that's from noon to 3 p.m. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil from the temp- of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom when the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last. He said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joses, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him, and there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So in verse 33, it was dark from noon to 3 p.m. And this was probably the time of Jesus' separation from the Father. It was Jesus' hell. Because what is eternal life? Eternal life is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the lake of fire is a place of separation from God. That is hell. So, and, you know, Hades also, God is not around. He is apart from that. That is hell. So, a lot of people today live in hell, really, by that definition, because they walk around totally apart from God. He's right there. He's watching them. He knows exactly what they're doing, exactly what they're thinking. But. Yeah, they might as well be a thousand miles away. And so, according to Jesus' definition, they are in hell. People, before they're saved. And uh, even some believers act like they're in hell because they act as though God has nothing to do with them. You know, they just walk in the flesh. Yeah, see, there, and that, the sermon is going to be about this. This is a preview, is that it is possible to have great joy in trial. It is is possible to have great joy in trial. And so we can do that. And uh, trials can cause us to grow very significantly uh, spiritually, grow close to God. They don't have to make us grow away from God. Then verse 34, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the one, two, three, fourth prophecy fulfilled that day, at least. And that is Psalm 22, verse 1. That is just exactly what it says in Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is Psalm 22, verse 1. Verse 38, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There is significance in this. This signifies that a person in Jesus. See what happens when we believe in Jesus? We are placed in Jesus, right? We become part of his body. He is the head. We are the body. And all of our promises are in Him. You know, if you read through Ephesians, I'm reading through the Bible in the, the historical um, way it was written this year. And I just read through Ephesians. And like the first couple chapters of Ephesians, every other paragraph, it's in Him, in Him, in Him. You have all of these promises in Him because we're identified with Him. And so, in Jesus, because he did this, a, a person, sinful person like us, can have access to God because he has paid the price for our sin. He has dealt with what keeps us separate from God. And that is mentioned in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. This is why our prayers are effective. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, if we go in there without the blood of Jesus, we can't go. We're blocked. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith See, we have to know this. We have to believe this. This is a true fact. It is a true fact that we cannot see. Uh, So we just have to believe it based on what God's word says, that we have access to God because of what Jesus did. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There are a lot of things that are true of us that we cannot see or feel. When we believe in Jesus, a lot of things, they're positional truths, and we only know about them by reading God's Word. We know that these things are true. So, yeah, so we want to take advantage of this access we have to God. And how do we take advantage of that? We receive it by faith, and we pray. When we have access to God, God will listen to us if we we pray. And uh, that is power. That's when it starts to not just be by faith. That is when you go by faith, you pray by faith. You know, you're reading the Bible, trying to pray in accordance with God's will, and then you see the answer. It's not faith anymore. Then it's strengthening your faith because you're seeing in in the real world the results of what has happened. So, and that builds your faith greatly. Right. And we need to thank him for the answers. Yes. And we should praise him even if he answers no. (laughs) Because that's probably better. Okay, now, not everybody mocked Jesus. In verse 39, the centurion, who's standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last. He said, truly... This man was the son of God. So now is this uh, faith that saves? He knew who he was. It doesn't say anything about the promise that Jesus was offering to him as to everyone else. It, It doesn't say that he took advantage of that promise, but he is ripe to take advantage of it because he knew who Jesus was. And then the women, they were not mocking also some women looking on from a distance Mary Magdalene Mary the mother of James the less and Joseph's and Salome and they were disciples of his okay so we're on section D Jesus body is laid in a tomb can somebody read 42 through 47 okay chapter 15 chapter 15 mhm okay thank you sir yeah, so evening had come is the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, so this is Friday. And uh, you know, you got to get ready for the Sabbath. And now they took the bodies down because it, the Jews didn't had a law that you didn't want to leave bodies up overnight. For Gentiles at that time, they would just leave people crucified to rot. They would just let him die and then rot up there. So here they didn't do that because they didn't want to offend the Jews. And then we have yet another fulfilled prophecy. In verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and, and that probably did take courage. And went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So that is a fulfillment again of Isaiah 53, 700 years prior. It says his a grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. So he was killed with wicked men, but he was buried by a rich man because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Multiple, multiple prophecies fulfilled on that one day. And then we know from the various gospel accounts that Jesus was dead, he was buried, the tomb was sealed with a seal, and a guard was posted. They wanted to make sure he stayed dead because he said that he would rise And they thought he was lying, and they thought that his disciples would come and take him, you know, to make a hoax. Um, So that's very important to know that Jesus was not kidding. He was dead. (laughs) You know, this was true death that he was, was going on here, and that makes the resurrection that much more amazing. A lot of people have tried to prove Christianity wrong, and in the proving, been converted, as they try to convert. You know, I think Josh McDowell has done that. This guy Lee Strobel did that. I'm sure there's many more who've done that, trying to prove it wrong, and they can't prove it wrong, and they get converted and believe. So that is the end. Jesus is dead. That's sad. He asphyxiated. Yeah, he asphyxiated. Mm -hmm. And then another proof that he literally was dead is when the soldier stabbed his side, Mm -hmm. the blood had separated into cells and plasma. Mm -hmm. So it was was not flowing. You know, it was separated apart. And that's an indication of death. So... Mm -hmm. Section E, the tomb is empty, and I'll read that. That's Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen, he is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Okay? So, our faith is the only faith where something like this happens. Muslims have a faith. This does not happen. The Hindus have a faith, multiple gods, a whole bunch of gods. Nothing like this ever happens. You know? Um, What else? I don't know. All the other ones. (laughs) Nobody rises from the dead. And the holy books of these do not contain fulfilled prophecy like this. It's very detailed and to the point and written up to a thousand years beforehand. There's nothing like this. This is unique. So if you are going to choose what you're going to believe in, I think this is a very good candidate. You know, the Buddhists don't have anything like this. Yeah, look. At, I know, that's what made yeah. me say that. That <laughs> Made me say that. There is nothing like this. Uh, and so it is unique. Why? Because Jesus is only one. He is the monogamous He is one of a kind. He is the only one who has lived a perfect life, died for other people, and rose from the dead. Lord, we thank you that you came back to life, and that gives us hope. And we thank you that you made a promise to bring us back to life, uh, those of us who are in you. We thank you that we are united with you, you already. And so we have multiple wonderful promises. Uh, given to us in the scriptures because of that. So, we pray that you'll be with us as we look to the Psalms next quarter. In Jesus' name, amen.